Welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. Audrey Hendler is the founder and executive director of a Fair Shake program, which uses the power of registered therapy dogs to help middle school children develop a foundation of empathy and self-esteem. As the kids learn to work with the dogs, they learn about themselves and each other in ways that open up new possibilities for their lives. Audrey, thank you so much for joining us today on Dog Save the People. It's a real thrill to have you. And I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) My pleasure. You have such an amazing story. And um, so I really want to begin with your work with Puppies Behind Bars. If you can kind of walk me through that, that was some time ago, but that has inspired you and and informed your work. That totally inspired me. And I used to say that, you know, the dogs changed inmates' lives, but it also changed mine as well. Puppies Behind Bars is an organization where inmates raise puppies that are ultimately, hopefully, going to be working as guide dogs or service dogs or explosive detection dogs. And rather, guide dogs normally live with a family for their puppyhood. Yes. Well, so instead of living with a family, they lived in the prison. Puppies Behind Bars doesn't raise dogs to be guide dogs anymore, but at the time, that was what they were doing. Now it's service dogs and dogs for PTSD. The inmates did the raising, they did the socializing, and then the dog went off to, you know, finishing school. Mm -hmm. Same thing for explosive detection dogs. They spent the first year, year and a half with the inmates. I've heard a lot about these programs and so, and I've seen some, some documentaries about them. Again, it's just such an incredible thing to make those kind of connections. I started as a volunteer for them, taking puppies right out on the weekends to help socialize them because they could be loved and well behaved. But if they hadn't been to Dwayne Reed and they didn't know what a scooter was and things like that, they wouldn't be able to function in their jobs. Yes. So my job was to take them out on weekends and expose them to different things. And at the time, I was working for myself doing marketing consulting, so I had a bit of flexibility. So I joked that I went from being a volunteer to being a super volunteer, and then ultimately they asked if I wanted to come help and teach in prison. Mm. And I jumped at the opportunity. And what were your takeaways from this experience? So many. The most amazing thing to me was that inmates formed and created a life for themselves in that environment. The resilience of people really struck me. I remember thinking, wow, they're laughing. They're like having a life. Not that they would have ever chosen that life, but the resilience was amazing. Trying to understand how the prison system was actually supposed to, if you will, make someone better really baffled me. But in terms of the dogs and the people, it was that connection that the inmates had with the dogs and the transformation we often saw with the inmates just in terms of in prison, the way to basically survive is to sort of be invisible. Well, when you're walking from point A to point B with a nine-month-old puppy who's chasing or a nine-week-old puppy that's chasing a butterfly, it's kind of hard to just (laughs) pretend you're not there. So it really opened up inmates to who they were and how they were feeling. They felt trusted, not just with something, but as we used to say, but with a life. Sure, yes. They were good at something. They put something ahead of their own needs, which for some of them was the first time. I remember there was one time when the 
pretty much the most senior person went off and got paroled, which was fantastic. So then there was somebody else who was kind of the next most senior. And I got to think to myself, I'm going to see, it'll be really interesting to see whether he's going to be too cool to like help the new raisers, we used to call them, or is he going to step up and be a leader? I really thought that to myself. And I was so moved because he opted for leader. Mm. And I think those sorts of skills and realizations about yourself and who you can be are so important and give you hope and are the things that you're going to need when you're released to have a fulfilling and successful life. Not, Not that I'm the expert on that, but it was really great to see people start to believe in themselves and who they were. Right. Well, you were a witness to it and you also just witness the power of these animals, even though they were puppies. Oh my God, to... puppies are the best. <laughs> they need love. They are. They will love you unconditionally. Yes. They are kind of a blank slate, right? They don't judge you. They don't know that you're in prison and they don't care what you did. They want to know if you're feeding them and playing with them and training them and they look to you. So they're pretty incredible teachers. How did this inspire you to begin and create a Fair Shake program. And tell me a little bit about your program. Yeah, so our program is a social-emotional learning program, which is about empathy and self-esteem, the same kinds of skills and behaviors that inmates were developing through the dogs in prison. And I basically had this idea of why are we waiting till kids are grown up and in trouble to have this impact, because you could be the best puppy raiser, you could have transformed your life, if you will, but that doesn't mean you were going to get paroled. That didn't erase the thing that you had done that you now very likely felt bad about and were trying to give back through the dogs. So there's this cradle-to-prison pipeline that people talk about. So my idea was, is there a way to introduce dogs earlier and perhaps break that cycle so so young people never ended up in prison? How did you start? How did you kind of narrow in and finesse your idea and your mission statement? Our first program was actually with an alternative to detention program for teenagers who were already involved in the juvenile justice system. That was my original idea. But we quickly saw that the opportunity was much broader than that and went into schools. And how did you decide to focus it on middle school kids? That's really interesting. And when I say middle school kids, people who know kids go, really? Oh, my gosh. They're They're the worst. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know. I love them. (laughs) So we actually spent about 18 months early on trying different age groups. We did the program in elementary school, middle school, high school. We did it with young adults in residential drug treatment. And what we found was the middle school kids were young enough that they weren't the least bit too cool for the dogs, but they were also interested in forming a relationship with the volunteer who comes with the dog, which, because my experience had been in the prison system, I hadn't anticipated that. But for a lot of the kids that we work with in, you know, the South Bronx and other underserved neighborhoods, adults aren't always the most consistent, reliable presence in their lives. So when a volunteer week one would say, I'll see you next week, you could see a lot of the kids were like, Yeah, I don't know, Mm -hmm. right? And then the volunteer comes back week after week and not only comes back, but is glad to see the kids and remembers that, oh, you had a math test last week or you went to the DR for Christmas and saw, you know, your aunt's dog who you think of as your own. So that in and of itself helps the kids. And then at the same time, they're old enough that when we talk about things like 
shelters and rescue and second chances, or we talk about breed discrimination. The kids can make the connections to their own lives, and we can broach that conversation in a way that the kids can actually really process it. Now, you have a story about one particular student. This one time, at the very end of the program, the 10 weeks, this young boy walked up to one of our volunteers, Brenda, who has a dog, Sam, which was Samantha, who was a a mixed shelter dog, German shepherd, blue healer Mm. kind of dog. Looks kind of like a wolf. Yeah. And from a kill shelter in Georgia originally. So he went up to her when she was packing up the last week and said to her, I know that Sam came from a shelter and she turned out okay. Well, I live in a shelter. Do you think I'll be okay? And without skipping a beat, Brenda said, you're already more than okay. You're great. So they're always thinking, they're always processing. I would say because it's New York, yay, New York, right? Right. I'd say about two-thirds of the dogs are rescue. Yes. So when there is a story, we tell the story. If there's not, we don't. But so many of our dogs have stories, and they are living embodiments of dogs who had a rough start at the beginning or didn't have a home and then went on not only to be okay, but to give back. And I think that that lesson is not the least bit lost on the kids. That's incredible. And I do think that that age group, they are, as you said, they're open enough to kind of receive the information and the lessons. They're still childlike enough that they're not too cool, that they're going to just kind of shut down and think that this is stupid or something. And um, and that's also the time in a child's life, I know for myself, when I started becoming more self-conscious and more insecure. It's a pivotal age because exactly. they're deciding. They're not little kids anymore and they're right. not quite grown-ups. And I like to say, like, this is their time that they're deciding who they are and who they want and can be. Like the inmate in prison, do I want to be a leader or not? And so these kids see, wow, you know, this dog loves me. Things that they say at the end of the program when we do pre and post is right. like, we say, what surprised you about the dogs? What surprised you about yourself? And they say things like, I'm surprised the dogs liked me. I'm surprised mm. the dogs listened to me. I'm surprised I was good with the dogs. And then, you know, they say things that relate to their own lives about letting people get to know them and not giving off this and that. But it sets the tone, I think, to find out for themselves who they really are, the good parts of them. Right. So it's a pretty powerful time. Oh, it's incredible. And so the idea is that it helps them to... Develop the social emotional skills, empathy, self-esteem, patient, individual differences. We have three dogs, you know, one is short, one is tall, one is athletic, one isn't, one is new to something. How do we help the dog? Is it a bad dog if it can't do it? You know, we have one dog who's getting older and it provides a model for the kids and the kids will rally around the dogs in a way they would not rally around each other. And so they can see what a difference it makes to be kind, to be gentle, to be caring. So beautiful. But I'll never forget there was a dog. It was kind of a big lab mix. And this young boy, one of the first weeks, was afraid to actually hand him a treat. So he said, no problem. You know, we respect the dogs. We respect you. If we're doing something you're not comfortable with, fine. So I think he asked the dog to sit, something basic. And so the owner, which we call guardians, yes. suggested that he tossed the treat to the dog and <laughs> let the dog catch it, right? So he thought that was a good idea. Yeah. So he tossed the treat and the dog caught it 
The kid was so excited that the dog was successful that he forgot that he was afraid. And he went up and he started petting the dog and saying, good job. And that was the end of it. He was no longer afraid. What an incredible organization. And this is a nonprofit. It's definitely a nonprofit. It's a 501c3. (laughs) And this is our 10th year. We are now in our 10th year. It's a big milestone. We're very excited. It's enormous. We've reached about 3,000 kids in New York over the last 10 years. And we have about 40 dogs out there in school. What a beautiful vision. What is next for a fair shake? So we're always looking for more teams. You know, in a perfect world, I'd like to double the number of teams mm-hmm. over the next couple of years. I would also like to come up with a program for younger kids that maybe is a little bit less intense, but with all the disparity in the economy and all the intolerance, I think clearly the sooner we start having kids understand individual differences and build empathy and humaneness, the better. So I think we'd like to develop something for younger kids. Now, growing up, did you have a dog? Oh, this is a sore spot. (laughs) Sore. Mm. My brother was allergic. Okay, where did you grow up? I grew up outside of Albany, okay. upstate. I always wanted a dog. My mom promised me a dog. I was about six, and she said, when you're 10, you can have a dog. And 10 rolls around, she had thought, of course, that I would long ago have forgotten. Right. But I hadn't. But I still couldn't have a dog. And I used to joke with my mom that like there was a solution because I had two brothers. She could have still had a son. And I could have had a dog if we had just gotten rid of my brother who was allergic. <laughs> so I never had a dog until actually I was in my 30s because I was busy with my career and all this. And I didn't think I would have time for a dog. But I got my first dog in my late 30s from a neighbor upstate where I would go on the weekends who was moving to Australia and couldn't take his six-year-old lab with him. So that was my first dog. What was his name? His name was Gator because he was originally from Florida. (laughs) And the thing I always say to people is like, I had waited such a long time for a dog. I knew I loved dogs. I petted dogs all over the place. So it's even better than my wildest dreams of Mm. how good it would be. And I saw the connection that I had that everyone had to the dog and to what he added to my life. I had him for four years and he passed away from aspiration pneumonia. And then I got my second rescue lab, Dakota, who I sort of joke is the only dog that ever got kicked out of prison because I would sometimes bring him and he would bark when I petted another dog. He was ridiculous, (laughs) but he, he was very lovable. And is he still with you? He is not with me, but he certainly helped me through my divorce. Mm -hmm. I mean, talk about a being that's always there for you Mm -hmm. and understands you. He was awesome. And now I have two dogs because that's what starts to happen. And a cat because we take the kids to the shelter. But I've told all my friends, cut me off no more. Two dogs and one cat is enough. So I have a great Pyrenees mix. Oh, beautiful. Who... She's only 40 pounds. And wow. yes, because the woman at the shelter, Jane Koppelman, who runs the program from the dog site at Sloan Kettering, knew because of my dog, Dakota, that I was looking for a dog that I could use in the program. And she said to me, here's Lucy, whose name was Cream at the time. Yeah. I can't promise you, but I think she's exceptional. And she was right. And I didn't want to say I don't want Lucy because she's a great Pyrenees mix. She's going to be 100 pounds. I thought Jane won't think I'm serious about starting this organization, right? It's supposed to be about temperament. So luckily, she's only 40 pounds. And then two years ago, I adopted also from the shelter an Australian shepherd. And his name is Rasmataz. Oh, that's great. He came with Raz, but I didn't think it was sufficiently 
formal enough for right. the city. Yeah. So. <laughs> and I know for myself, I have three dogs. And nice. please cut me off. I mean, as, although I would love to have more, but having animals, having a dog in the city, it's it's, on one hand, it's wonderful because the social interactions getting to know other neighbors every i mean dogs are this amazing gateway to conversations to developing friendships and yet it's also it's a huge responsibility my dogs get me up at 5 a.m every morning and i'm like oh come on and that's it <laughs> i taught mine to sleep in I oh see i the oldest dog that i have is 12 and she is she's the troublemaker and she's up literally at 4 30 she goes into the living room and starts playing with her toys and then she'll she just barks And then I'm like, okay, all right, you got me. But the interesting thing is, as you had mentioned, I'd like to talk a little bit more about this. So I lost my husband to cancer a little bit over three years ago. Mm. When he passed, the dogs were the greatest gift. And even though it was a lot, like three dogs, one person, they kept me moving. And so dogs and pets in general have this amazing, uncanny ability to help us through things like that. I so believe that. I I think they're such a gift. And when I had to put Dakota down, I used to say like, he didn't have a good joint to his name. He had bad knees and shoulders and a back. And I remember I spent this week with him because that had really been my intent. So we'd go to the park and I would make all his favorite food. He'd have a whole bowl full of like steak and vegetables. He was a lab. He ate anything. Yeah. And so when the vet came, and I had Lucy at this point, my Great Pyrenees mix, she was, I don't know, maybe two. And so this other woman, Alden, said, here, let me take Lucy for a walk, and Mm. you can be with Dakota. So the vet put Dakota down. It was lovely. She was so kind. And then Alden came back, and she said, Lucy needs you now. And just like a six-year-old, I was like, I don't want Lucy. I want Dakota. And I think it was that profound bond that I had with Dakota who helped me through the worst period in my life that he saved me. He, to your point, he got me going to the park. I think the best part of the day is that walk in the morning in Riverside Park Mm -hmm. where it's dog people and first right you learn the dog's name and then eventually the person's name. And you could know like nothing about them really but it doesn't matter like somebody's husband just passed away my job in the morning is to give them a hug yes period you know and so the dogs to your point not only help us personally but they help us connect to other people they're such a gift yes they are good for you what a beautiful idea that you've created and i so applaud your work so how do we find you on social media Fairshakeforyouth.org. Okay. Instagram, we're fair, F-A-I-R, shake, the number four, youth. Youth. All right, Fair shake for youth. Same thing with Twitter. We're not big on Twitter. Yeah. And then Facebook is a fair shake. It was a real pleasure to have you today, Archie. And thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was great it was, talking it with you. It was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I think the A Fair Shake program is such a fantastic initiative and is doing really beautiful and important work. The impact something like this can have on kids that age cannot be understated. And the relationship to dogs, as we discuss on every episode of this podcast, can have the chance to save or change your life for the better. I hope that the program can keep expanding even more, as it's something everyone could find useful. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is a production of As It Should Be, a content studio. It's made with the support of our producer and editor, Jack Summer. Special thanks to our composer and neighbor, Daniel Lampert, for creating the music for the show. You can subscribe to Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please leave a review or rating. You can also follow us on social media. You can also check out the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, at johnbartlettny.com. Enjoy a walk with your dog and make it a great day for both of you.